Bigger? <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> good morning. Uh, before we learn from God's Word, let's, uh, let's begin with a prayer that we might, might read the Word and understand it rightly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may your Word be our rule, your Spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ our single concern. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by sharing with you the words to a song I recently discovered. It's the song Hills and Valleys by Torrin Wells. Is anybody familiar with that song? Yeah, a few people. All right. It was nominated for a 2017 Grammy. Pretty good. And it fits perfectly with our scripture text for today. The chorus goes like this, and I'll, I'll save you, I'll save myself the embarrassment of singing it. Here are the words of the chorus. On the mountains... I will bow my life to the one who set me there. In the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain aft, didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley end, no, I am not alone. Your God of the hills and valleys, hills and valleys, God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. Joseph, the main character in our Bible story today, if he were a contemporary Christian songwriter, these could easily be his words. You're the God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. I'm talking about Joseph, that the one that is the great-grandson of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. That guy. We learned about Abraham last week through Pastor Stephanie's sermon. The last 14 chapters of, of Genesis are all devoted to Joseph's story, so we get to know him fairly well. Now, his story, God's Word tells us, it tells this story with, with vivid details, and there's family drama and mystery and murder, and in the end, a most heart-wrenching scene of reconciliation between brothers. It's an incredible story. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't ruined it yet by making it into a movie. <laughs> In a nutshell, Joseph's story is a story of hills and valleys, of highs and lows. One moment he's on top of the family food chain, and the next he's naked in a pit. Perhaps his story is a little more extreme than most of our own, but I still suspect that each of our stories has its fair share of ups and downs. Am I right? If it hasn't yet, sadly I suspect that it will eventually in this broken world of ours. I walked among the shadows, Torn Wells writes, and I can see Joseph nodding his head in agreement. I walked among the shadows, you wiped my tears away, and I found the pain of heartbreak, and I've seen the brighter days and I've wrest heaven from my tallest place, and I have held the blessings, God, you give and take away. This is Joseph's story, and it's our story. God gives and takes away. We experience hills and valleys in life, do we not? So how do we get through it all? How do we survive the roller coaster journey of life. And not only that, but where is 
God in it all? These are the questions that God addresses through Joseph's story to us today, and we will have the privilege of reading it in just a minute. But before we read, I just want to get us a a better grasp of the context of this story. Now, some of us have been, you've been reading along in the, Bible, in the daily Bible readings this past week, which is connecting the dots from last week to this week. If so, you would have read about Joseph's family origins. Everything starts with Joseph's great-grandparents, whose names are Joseph's great-grandparents, Abraham and Sarah. They're the great-grandparents of Joseph the one Steph talked about last week. And this old couple is chosen by God to be the family through whom all the families of the earth are blessed. Friends, God is on a mission to restore the world to its original intent. And step one in his plan is electing this family. God establishes with them what's called a covenant. You know, the word that we use in our marriage celebrations A covenant is a special relationship of trust with a specific purpose in mind. God's purpose in establishing a covenant with this family is ultimately to win the world back, to restore the original goodness that had been lost. So, Joseph, the would-be author of the song Hills and Valleys, his great-grandparents are chosen by God, and miraculously, they have a son in their old age, and they name him Isaac. Let's move a little faster. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, who has twins, Esau and Jacob. Is this sounding familiar? The covenant promise is passed on to the younger Jacob, which means that the mission is now to be carried forward, the mission of blessing all the families of the earth, it's now to be carried forward by by the descendants of Jacob. So it goes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Say that with me, would you? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob has a son named Joseph. Actually, Jacob has how many sons? Twelve sons. But Joseph, and this is important, Joseph is daddy's favorite. Joseph is number 11 in the lineup, and he's daddy's favorite son, See if you can follow this. He's daddy's favorite son because Joseph's mom is daddy's favorite mom. Wait, what? (laughs) Jacob's relationship status is a little complicated. He has children from four different women. If the story's any indication, I would not recommend this plan. But that's how it happens with Jacob. He has four different women who bear his children. And Jacob's favorite woman is Rachel, and her firstborn is Joseph. A lot of names I know, but we're getting there. As soon as Joseph's born, and this is important, all the other sons take a back seat in dad's attention. From here on out, seems like it's all about Joseph. Quick question, how many of you grew up with siblings? Show of hands, would you? All right, a lot of, a lot of siblings. Now think to yourself, which one of you was the favorite? Don't raise your hands, especially if you have siblings in the room, and especially if your parents are also in the room. What do you think, Sharon, Dan? Which one? I'm just kidding. Hopefully, your parents loved you all the same, but from time to time, let's be honest, some parents develop favorites. 
This almost always leads to what? To conflict among siblings. Those who are not the favorites become envious and resentful toward the favorite. Perhaps they even plot ways to demote the favorite, to cut them down, and to promote themselves. Well, that's what happens right before the scripture passage we're going to read today. The older brothers, friends, they're fed up with dad's special favor toward Joseph. So they take matters into their own hands. First, they actually plan to kill Joseph. Then they think better about it and decide to make some money off of him. So they, they sell him to a traveling group of merchants who are headed to Egypt. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. This becomes, interesting fact, this is the, the first instance of human trafficking recorded in the Bible, a problem that is still with us today. Once the merchants arrive in Egypt, they've got 17-year-old Joseph in tow, and they try to find the highest bidder to maximize their profit. That's how human trafficking works. They quickly find an interested buyer, and the 17-year-old boy is sold to a government official named Potiphar. Potiphar is the king of Egypt's chief of staff. And that's where we pick up with the story, Genesis 39. I know that's a lot of names and a lot of details. Hopefully that at least, hopefully you caught at least 50% of that to help us understand a little more this, this story. Listen for God's word, uh, Genesis 39, from the Common English Bible. When Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, the commander of the royal guard, and an Egyptian, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. That's obviously a significant low for the teenage Joseph, right? But then listen to verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and served in his Egyptian master's household. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything he did successful. Potiphar thought highly of Joseph, and Joseph became his assistant. He appointed Joseph head of his household and put everything he had under Joseph's supervision. From the time he appointed Joseph head of his household and of everything he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord blessed everything he had, both in the household and out in the field, so he handed over everything he had to Joseph and didn't pay attention to anything except the food he ate. Let's stop there for now. Now, this is obviously a significant high for the young Joseph. He's a foreigner, a slave with no college degree, but by God's gracious intervention, he becomes a leader. Not just any leader, but the top supervisor for Egypt's chief of staff. That's a pretty big leap for a young guy who was almost killed by his own brothers and sold into slavery. This is a, a wonderful rags-to-riches story, right? Thanks, and it's all thanks to the blessing of the Lord. Now, what is this blessing of the Lord? An ancient preacher, John Chrysostom, 4th century, he writes this about verse 6. He says, what is the meaning of the Lord was with Joseph? He says, Grace from on high stood by him and smoothed over all his difficulties. He goes on, 
God's grace arranged all his affairs. Everything went well for him. Grace from on high preceded him everywhere. And the grace that flourished with regard to Joseph was so obvious as to become plain even to his master. I like that. God's grace smoothed over all his difficulties. Do you know, do you know the grace from on high, friends, in your actual day-to-day life? Have you experienced God's grace in such practical ways, such that it smooths over all your difficulties? Have you seen God's hand at work in your personal life, arranging your affairs? I hope so. Uh, Often this comes when you look back on your life, doesn't it? Looking back, Stephanie and I can certainly praise God for such grace, such observable, practical grace. Praise God. Bless the Lord. But there's more to the story. If the story ended here in in verse 6, we would have a very different sermon. I, I I could boast about how God will make us happy and successful in life because we belong to him. I could gladly announce that God will protect us from every negative circumstance. If the story ended in verse 6, I could proclaim that it's all just about a mindset, you see. If you think positive thoughts all the time, then God will surely give you a life of perpetual happiness and harmony without conflict and pain-free. Some, uh, some people call this the prosperity gospel. And it'd be absolutely true if the story ended in verse 6. If Jesus' story ended not with the cross, but with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, while all the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. But there's more to the story. Yes, the Lord is with Joseph and his successes. The Lord is the one who set Joseph on this mountain of success. It's true, and I believe it's true for us as well. When we experience success, even success in worldly terms, I believe we can thank God for it. Insofar as we've come by it honestly and justly, we can thank God for granting us success in our careers, our education, our families, our relationships. It's the Lord who was with us, enabling our success, strengthening us, making our brains function, even providentially arranging our circumstances. Friends, the Lord is with us, certainly in our successes. But there's also more to the story. There's more to the story than just the high points, just as that's true in our lives. For Jesus himself entered not first into glory before he suffered pain. So we pick up the story with the rest of verse 6. The Lord is with Joseph, granting him success, and then we read this. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Sometime later, his master's wife became attracted to Joseph and said to him, Sleep with me. He refused and said to his master's wife, With me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put everything he has under my supervision. No one is greater than I am in this household, and he hasn't denied me anything except you, since you are his wife. 
how could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? Every single day, she tried to convince him, but he wouldn't agree to sleep with her or even to be with her. One day, when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, none of the household's men were there. She grabbed his garment, saying, lie down with me. But he left his garment in her hands and and ran outside. When she realized that he had left his garment in her hands and ran outside, she summoned the men of her house and said to them, look, my husband brought us a Hebrew to ridicule us. He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. When When he heard me raise my voice and screamed, he left his garment with me and I ran outside. She kept his garment with her until Joseph's master came home, and she told him the same thing. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us to ridicule me came to me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When Joseph's master heard the thing that his wife told him, this is what your servant did to me, he was incensed. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. Stop there for now in God's word. How quickly things can turn sour, right? You're made captain of the team, and you're raking in the winds, and you're having a great time, and then you get injured. You fall in love, and you think, this is the one. And everything is just perfect. And then you have your first fight, and then another, and another. You're promoted in your job. You've exceeded your boss's expectations, and you're sure this will lead to your dream job, which includes more money. (laughs) And then you find out that your dream job was just filled by someone else, and you weren't even considered. You're enjoying retirement, and you've just added another grandkid, and the blessings of life are yours in abundance. And then, all of a sudden, you're shocked by the diagnosis, the illness. How quickly things can turn sour. Joseph had the best job a slave could ever imagine. He experienced success after success in the workplace. He knew for sure the Lord was with him, the God of his father Jacob. His virtues are on clear display for all to see in this passage. And then he's falsely accused of rape. He's not even given a hearing. He feels the sting of prejudice and betrayal, and he's immediately thrown in prison. Are you surprised a story like this found its way in our Bible? (laughs) I thought the Lord was with Joseph. Where was God in all of this? Where was God when I went through all of this? Now, there's a little digression we need to take. And I, uh, if you know my personality... I like to avoid conflict. (laughs) Anybody else? So I don't really desire to go where I'm about to go, but it seems necessary. If you pay attention to the news, then I imagine it's impossible not to think of our own current news when reading this story, right? 
The fact is, in case you didn't hear, the most recent U.S. Supreme Court nominee has been recently accused of sexual assault. This is just the most recent accusation against top leaders and celebrities, and this particular one obviously has not gone into any sort of trial. So please, please, let us not read too much into this situation, a lot of our scripture passages for today. I want to remind us of Genesis 34, where Joseph's sister, Dinah, was raped. So here's the thing. Heaven forbid we, as God's people, stand against the oppressed, and heaven forbid we stand against the unjustly accused, like Joseph in Genesis 39. See what I'm saying here? (laughs) Friends, God is the God of justice, and we are God's people, called to represent the God of justice. This means we are to stand for justice and truth wherever it's found. Amen? I, for one, am not going to let newscasters and politicians tell me where to stand. I will stand for justice and truth in Jesus' name, wherever it's found, on whatever side of the aisle it's found. Because Paul tells me that my citizenship is not of this world, but I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. There's much I don't know, and I'm not in a position to know, and you're not in a position to know. But here's the thing. We are called to set ourselves to pursue justice and truth in our day-to-day lives in real ways, as we pursue a life of discipleship to Jesus. So we, that's our prayer. (laughs) Jesus says, blessed are those who seek, who hunger for, and thirst for righteousness and justice and truth, wherever it's found. So Lord, have mercy on you and I when we get it wrong, and Lord, help us seek justice and truth wherever it's found. When I think of our world of lies and deception, which mirrors Joseph's world of lies and deception, just read about the stories of his father, Jacob, if you want some deception. When I think about these worlds, I take great comfort in this, friends. I take great comfort in God's promise to one day bring to light the secrets of every human heart. My friends, God will not only reveal the truth of people's actions, what they did and didn't do, But there will be a day when God makes people's motivations public. God's justice will prevail in the end, and truth will win the day. This is our comfort, my friends, in the midst of a world of lies and deception. It's also our word of caution. I'll let 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, serve as the last word on this digression. Listen to this. So don't judge anything before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring things that are hidden in the dark to light, and he will make people's motivations public. Then there will be recognition for each person from God. May we be comforted and cautioned by this word of the Lord. So, there's Joseph, a victim of false accusation, waking up on that cold dungeon floor of a prison cell. And the Lord was with him in his successes, but what about now when he's brought just about as low as one can go? Genesis 39, verse 21. While he was in jail, 
the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. Did you hear that? While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. The jail's commander put all of the prisoners in the jail under Joseph's supervision. And he was the one who determined everything that happened there. The jail's commander paid no attention to anything under Joseph's supervision because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. This concludes our reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is it possible that even in your most difficult life circumstances, the Lord is still with you? Might it just be the case that even in your depression, the Lord remains loyal to you? Could it be that even in your grief, your sorrow, your sickness, the Lord's faithful love never left you. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. My friends, God is not only with you in the hills, he's also there in the valleys. We worship the God of the hills and the valleys. Can you see God there? Even, even when you feel powerless, controlled by the deci decisions of others, even when you're powerless, can you feel God's power with you and for you? That's our mission for the week, friends, to become aware of God's presence with us in the hills and in the valleys. God's presence in the hills and the valleys. And then, once we're aware of God's presence in the hills and the valleys, then our mission is to be the channel of God's presence, listen, the channel of God's presence to someone else who's in the valleys. You think we can do that this week? One last thing. How can we be sure that God is present in the valleys? Because, friends, the story of Joseph, it's not just about Joseph. It's also about Jesus. Joseph prefigures Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Ultimately, it was Jesus who was betrayed for a handful of silver. It was Jesus who was both falsely accused and violently assaulted. It was Jesus who went down to the deepest, darkest pit, feeling God forsaken and cursed. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus not only shows us the Father's faithfulness to him in the valley. My friends, if you can believe it, Jesus is the God of the valley. Jesus has come to experience all of the valleys of life that we face so that we too can never say that we're alone in them. If Joseph's story is not enough, Jesus is God's final proof that God is most certainly the God of the valley with you and 
for you. Oh, I pray that you and I know it when we need to know it. There's more to the story, though. Jesus is also the God of the hills, right? No pit, no prison, no measure of evil and injustice could ever match the strength of Jesus' life and love. That is the gospel. Yes, Jesus died on a tree, becoming sin for us, identifying as the God of the valley. But he also rose from the grave so that we might become the exalted sons and daughters of the King. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. This means, among other things, that Jesus is the God of the hills and the valleys. Hills and valleys. Jesus is God of the hills and valleys. And you are not alone. God is with you. God is for you. In the name of the Father who loves you, the Son who is with you, and the Spirit who forever uplifts you. Amen. Let us pray.